Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussion of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Guess what time it is? It's time for crime! In this episode, we'll be talking about Valerie Pepe, also known as the Torso Killer, who pleaded guilty in 2002 and served 16 years for the dismemberment of her husband's body. So this episode, we will attempt to address questions. Does your beauty routine include a reciprocating saw? If you did prison time, would your trade skill be used? And what's the weirdest thing you've ever thrown into a grocery dumpster? Welcome back. I know you missed us. This is your host, Vanny. And this is Kat. Well, welcome back, everybody. We are just wanting to talk about this exciting case today. Let's just say Miss Torso Killer here is something a little dear to my heart. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure we'll share a lot of uh, little in- little confessions here and there. What do you say, Kat? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this was um, a very different I guess popular uh, case uh, that was out there is kind of strange, but Valerie Pape or Pape, I guess Pape. Is it Pape or is it Pape? I was never sure. Let's 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 try to be French and be Pape. Pape, okay. <laughs> Valerie Pape. You gotta like lift your pinky when you say Pape. <laughs> Pape. <laughs> um, exciting is that uh, there's even a Playboy involved. A little bit of murder, a little bit of haircuts. A little bit of intrigue. (laughs) A little mystery. (laughs) Yeah, this case kind of covers uh, a lot of that uh, wide topic. So, yeah, Valerie was uh, one of our inmates who was on the Santa Cruz unit. And so our viewers kind of have a little bit of an idea when you come through complex and and you walk through and you're going to get on the van, which is driven (laughs) by an inmate, and you're going to go... there are four, now four units. There was three. There's now four units. Um, the closest one is the Lumley unit and then Santa Cruz, then San Pedro, and then back to San Juan. Arizona, for whatever reason, names their prisons after things. So Perryvale is named after Arizona rivers. Oh. That's those names. Uh, Tucson is named after the mountain ranges, Rincon and Catalina in that area. Uh, if you go up by Flagstaff, you have Kaibab and it's all the Grand Canyon names. So that's where Arizona prisons get their names, their from. names from. It just, dep- it just, de- it just depends on where they're at in the state as to how they kind of name the area and the yards. And the original uh, one used to be San Juan. But then one of the officers was tragically killed on that unit, and they named it, they renamed it Lumley after the officer. So then when they did the fourth unit that went up, then they went back and named it San Juan. So for people that had been there a while, it was kind of confusing because we had a San Juan and then we didn't have a San Juan, and now it's back. Uh, Lumley was um, the max yard, and that had four yards within it. And then Santa Cruz is the medium yard, and that has four yards within it. Pedro has two yards within it, and that was minimum yard for the lower custody, custody. lower crimes. And then the new one they put in is also uh, was minimum that they renamed San Juan, and that was like a dorm style. So mm-hmm. it was like one big area, and then they each had their bunk. Never been different. never been a fan of the dorm style. 
It's just me. The reason why is there's just too many people around. Too much can happen. So all you need is someone for a distraction and pull the officer in a certain direction. And then it's easy for the officer to be attacked or it's easy for them to be doing something else. Yeah. Where when you have the regular yards, it's two inmates per cell and it's a lot easier to control and see what's going on. But the dorm setting has just turned out to be extremely popular for the minimum security inmates, but I still think it's kind of risky, but that's just this host's humble opinion. And most of the minimum, from what I understood, was that they were inmates that did fraud, very small things. Fraud, just enough dope to be a felony. Uh, Yeah, real. DUIs. Yeah, DUIs, low, low key thing. They did, we did have some DUIs on Lumley. Part of that was sentencing. Therefore, while Arizona got real hot and heavy on DUIs and they would do like 10 flat, no matter what. It was 10 years, no questions asked, no early anything, just straight up 10 years. And sometimes they would wind up on Lumley um, on one of the lower yards because even like Lumley had, they had the 30 yard, which was your max, max, your death row, your super. Then 28 was a step down. That was your your fours and still your aggravated assault, still high crime. Then you went to 26, which was still medium crime. And then it's still kind of medium, but a little bit lesser uh, was yard 24. So 24 was, was the easiest of the yards. That was, you know, they were a lot more mellow. They had a lot more privilege. They could be out more where 30 was. That was just your, everybody was locked down 23 hours out for one hour, just max control, max everything. That's where it's scary at. Yeah. So Valerie Pepe, even though there was murder involved, she wound up on San Pedro. And I believe that was probably because of the plea bargain. I'd have to agree with you. I think it had to do a lot with her plea. And uh, she pleaded guilty in 2002 to second degree murder of her husband, the little Scottsdale playboy. Yeah. So Valerie was owned a hair salon in Scottsdale. And I guess it was uh, near the McCormick Ranch area. I'm not 100% sure, but it, it was in a Scottsdale area. And she had quite the clientele. She was doing quite well for herself. I thought it was interesting as I was doing my research that I found what her yearly income was. It was like $750,000. So she was making some change there, cutting and dyeing <laughs> hair. But she was married to Ira Pomeranitz, and he had a bar in Chandler and had airplanes and fancy cars and I guess he had quite the nice little lifestyle. He sure did. He, had, he was a pilot himself, loved golfing. He was always on the go. And for me, what I have, Sister Cat, is a little sweet confession. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> One of my uh, little confessions today is I um, was a little too broke working at DOC and I couldn't afford (laughs) little Miss Pape's French lifestyle. She definitely was a luxury. Uh, She made all that money for a reason because she charged quite a bit for just a haircut. What you would pay at Supercuts for $10, she charged about three times that or more just for like a little trim. Yikes. Or just your bangs. I think it was just the bangs. She would charge about like $50 Fifty dollars for she bangs. Gold plated scissors. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> so couldn't afford her then, and uh, 
you know, one of her first jobs at the prison was she was the staff barber slash hairstylist. Yeah, I can remember several of the deputy wardens just lining up and they couldn't wait to get their appointment with her to get, you know, the, her hair, get their hair colored and cut and styled. So I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I never went. <laughs> I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I was like, she's a murderess. Why do I want to go sit in a chair with someone that has sharp scissors? So to wrap up my little confession here, I used to go see her at San Pedro, get my hair done. So the way you would have to set up the time to go visit her for a haircut is you had to check out the, the shears from the correctional officer. You'd have to check them out and then you physically handed her the weapon <laughs> and get your haircut done. So not only did she do my hair, but she colored my hair and she also did eyebrow threading. I got glamified for free. Wow. <laughs> I'm just sad that working for DOC, you didn't have the money to actually go see her in her salon. <laughs> <laughs> and even if I would have had the money, she was somewhere closer to home. Yeah. Well, that way you could be bougie and <laughs> bougie on a budget. Yes, absolutely. It was great. <laughs> So let's uh, jump in and get to know a little bit more about the case and find out what we know about Miss Little Fancy Pants Pape. <laughs> okay, well, Miss Pape in the year 2000 uh, was, of course, married to Ira. He was having trouble with his bar. He was losing money. He had lost his lease and she refused to front him any cash. I guess she was spending her $750,000, but she uh, refused to help him with any money. And then she, uh, at some point in their marriage, had brought a house guest, a French house guest in, whose name was Michael Sauvage. Ira was getting kind of tired of this guy just living in their house, kind of maybe thought there was something going on between them, but never really had any evidence to it, but it was just odd that this other Frenchman was just living in the house. Over time, their marriage began to crumble. So as early as 1999, uh, he got a court order of protection, uh, but it was tossed out days later. They had this argument. It was a uh, delivery driver saw this little petite five foot blonde haired woman pull up in a Jaguar behind the grocery store. And she uh, got out and pulls this bag this plastic bag out and she was struggling with it but she heaved it up into one of those big dumpsters right. and then got in her car and drove off so of course being the delivery guy he was like hmm, that's wonder strange what, yeah wonder what she threw in the garbage so he goes checking out the dumpster and what's in there but a torso yes no headless, head, no, no legless arm, yep no arms just a torso so did the right thing. You know, funny thing is that she lived in Scottsdale in the like McCormick Ranch fancy area where I hope my husband buys me a house one day soon. <laughs> 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 or buys me two. Uh <laughs> Confession number two. <laughs> she drove all the way to Mesa to dump the body at back in um, 2000. So when it all happened, it looks like the friend actually phoned Valerie and said, hey, you probably should put a missing report out for him. Like we haven't heard from him. It's not like him. He's always, yes, get it on the go. And her response was like, oh, he probably took off to Vegas. That's what he would do. He would normally just leave and go to Vegas. He'd be gone for a few days and he would just get back on his plane and fly the plane back. So it was very common practice of him to be away for a while. And so it was a shock to his friends when they were like, okay, it's been longer than a few days. Where is he at? Yeah. I don't know. This 
strikes me funny, but not only did she go to Mesa, but she used a dumpster of a grocery store. You want to take a guess what kind of grocery store that was? Bashes. Because <laughs> she bashed that out. Oh, well, yeah, but I just thought that went with your other story that you picked up the crazy lady in a bashes. Oh, yes. <laughs> See how all this crime is always connected. Always connected. So, yeah. What, I what did you call it? Uh, the six... Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yes, yeah, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Kevin Bacon. <laughs> it's all connected. <laughs> We're gonna, you're going to find out. You'd be surprised how all this craziness gets connected. Yeah, she. I guess they got married in 95, and she opened the salon in 97. And the year she opened her salon... Ira filed for bankruptcy the same year. So, of course, they were arguing over bills. And then what always seems to happen with females is, I was abused. She claimed he was throwing knives at her. They always pull the abused card. I was abused. There also was a huge age difference between them. It was like almost 20 years. He was 60 and she was 47. He was sugar daddy to the next degree absolutely and <laughs> she and she was spending the money because she had jewelry she had the jaguar she just had all kinds of stuff and in fact uh when he was having trouble with the bar and filed the bankruptcy and was losing the lease he just felt like she was bleeding him financially and she wasn't willing to help him at all and then he he was suspecting she was having an affair with that michael sauvage but he he could never pinpoint it down pinpoint it but i guess according to his daughters that he was planning to file for divorce you know just to get rid of her because that's what normal adults do you get a divorce and walk away it's just sad when the other partner doesn't want to play by those rules so she decides to go ahead and kill him i believe she shot him and then they found the body and they had surmised that the body was frozen before it was dismembered And there, the bar that Ira had had a big walk-in freezer, but they couldn't prove that that's where the body was frozen. But it seems like they are guesstimating that the body was frozen for approximately four days before it was then taken and cut up. And that kind of takes a little bit to hack a body up. You're not going to be doing that with a butter knife. So she was really petite. So she either A, had help or B, like there's no way she could have done it all by herself. Yeah. Ira was, Ira was kind of a big guy. guy. He was like six foot. I mean, husky. He wasn't fat or anything, but he was kind of husky and beefy. And she was like barely five foot. Yes. Tiny. She's probably another one. 98 pounds. I don't know what it is with these five foot, 98 pound women. She probably weighed less than a baguette. Oh my goodness. Oh, you're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> Dude, like, think about it, man. She's like super tiny. How the heck is she picking up a torso to dump it over that? I couldn't even pick up a tire. I know. And then you figured it had to be more than once because he was shot in the house and the body had to get wherever it got to be frozen. Yes. Whether it was the bar, an ice rink, wherever. And then it had to come get the body somewhere else and dismember it and then scatter it. And the really odd part she never, ever, ever told anybody where the head and the extremities were. Nope. They're still out there to this day. Somewhere. She never divulged uh, what was going on. So yeah, they wound up uh, starting an investigation and then they eventually spoke to her and decided that, you know, there's just something not right about this. Well, then they uh, search her purse and what do they find? The sweet little receipt for a little reciprocal uh, saw. Yeah. 
And I think it was from Home Depot. So here she went and purchased a nice electric <laughs> saw. And for those that are not familiar with the reciprocating saw, it's a lot bigger than your average meat slicer. It's a pretty hearty little saw used for medium shrubberies. And I mean, it can it can take off, you know, a tree limb as big as your wrist with just, yes. you know, moments. <laughs> nice electric serrated blade. Yeah. Makes cutting up a body so much easier. <laughs> Uh, also, what I found really interesting that her best friend's husband was also murdered. So yeah. it's like, was his best friend tag team? Like, let's kill our husbands. Yeah, I kind of year. wondered if there was a little I'll, I'll do yours if you do mine kind of a thing. That's what kind of the police investigated that they thought there was possibly a tie to it, but never was confirmed. Yeah, I guess uh, her her friend Merle Blanke, uh, who lived in Paradise Valley, her m- husband was murdered in September and found in the woods near Payson. He too had a gunshot. Well, he was had a gunshot wound to the heart. Autopsy, they figured that Ira was shot, was it like the chest or the back? But the trajectory, even though they didn't have the head, but they could follow the trajectory. And it went the, straight the to the head. Went into the head. So here you have two women. Both their husbands are shot. And then they find him in the woods in Payson. Of course, he didn't seem to be dismembered. He just was in there. So the police were looking for a connection. Mr. Blanke's murder is still open yes never was closed it's still a cold case yeah and so there was also a theory that her friend merle knew something of an alleged affair this was hilarious this is hilarious so merle the friend in paradise valley with her husband she was convinced that her husband knew something of an affair and i guess he he had the possibility of blowing the whistle and the supposed affair was between Singer Connie Stevens, okay? okay, and you're not even going to believe who the other one was. Fleetwood Mac. You would think it would be entertainment. No, <laughs> this is what just makes it. This is just such an Arizona case. So the theory was that there was an affair going on between singer Connie Stevens and U.S. Senator John McCain. Wow. And this is no evidence ever surfaced whatsoever but merle had it in her head that her husband knew this and he could blow the whistle on senator mccain Uh, yeah (laughs) why is she getting involved i yeah connie stevens and senator mccain i and that went absolutely nowhere hey he can't tell us now yeah i don't even know where she came up with that that was an interesting twist there theory so yeah i'm thinking so both these both these women seem to be a little nuts yeah some french nut (laughs) Pinot. (laughs) I'll have some French wine with that. Some champagne. Some champagne. (laughs) Pinot Grigia. Oh, we could have had wine tasting with this case. We sure should have. (laughs) So then if that wasn't enough silliness, now we have two bodies that shot that may or may not be related. Intrigue of uh, international affair between singers and senators. Then it comes time the uh, homicide investigator... At some point, I would assume it was after she uh, had her plea deal, which the family, they struggled with it, but they went along with the plea deal of the 16 years because they were afraid that if she went back to France, 
there was a chance she would serve no time. And so mm-hmm. they figured 16 years at DOC is so much not fun that 16 was better than none. And originally, the the then director of Department of Corrections, Dora Shapiro, she had made an arrangement with France to uh, just come get her and send her back. And then the family was like, no, we're reluctant, but we're going to accept this a plea, plea agreement because we want her to do some time. So they had to renege on it. Right. So um, in her time of going through and getting her plea deal and doing all that and going to Perryville, the homicide investigator is trying to wrap up the case. So what he did was take um, the seized property that they had from her and Ira during the investigation. And he accidentally turned it over to one of Ira's daughters who is living in Palm Springs, California. So she got checks from three bank accounts. She got a black pearl ring with diamonds that I guess, according to Pape, was $6,000. I can't even imagine what these look like. Snakeskin suits. Hey, I thought it was really interesting was it said $16,000 worth of personal items, including designer lingerie. Can't be a French as enough as that with some lingerie, right? Exactly. $3,000 from her salon and then family photos and a video of her daughter's adoption. So she got her knickers in a knot and decided that because this <laughs> happened, never mind, she killed somebody. That always seems to escape these people when this is going to... She felt that she was wronged and she tried to sue and wanted $116,000 uh, back from the daughter for her seized property. And she claimed that she suffered a loss of property and emotional harm from loss of keepsakes. Meanwhile, oh, wow. Ira's daughters lost... Their father. Exactly. So who's got the the larger harm? Last I heard, she was working on a settlement with the daughter in California. I'm not really sure how that went. I don't think it went well for Miss Pepe. No, she never got the... Because she finished her 16-year sentence, and then they whisked her down to Eloy, and she was in federal custody at an ICE facility. And I think she was there three or four months. Yes, and before then, they can set up all her... Yeah, and then she went, they went to Oklahoma. Yes, Oklahoma, and then from Oklahoma is where they got her one-way ticket to France. Yeah, and there you have it. And she never, ever, ever said where the rest of the body parts were. C'est la vie. So, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, March 7th, 2016. She's Vive la France. She was on her <laughs> way back so she could have champagne and brie. wonder what the life would be like in, in France for her now, what things are like. You know, I don't know. Back. And she was 47, I think, when all this happened. So 16 years at Perryvale, it's not kind time. No. And it's, it's not kind for a lot of reasons. One of the strongest things, I think, is because we're out in the desert and it's very arid. It's very, very dry. Skincare doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when I had seen some pictures of her, yeah, she had some pretty good deep wrinkles going. Yeah, she did not. If you look at her mugshot compared to some of her photos that were shared online, she looks completely different. Yeah, those were not not kind years. She definitely took some beating. Yeah, you don't have your oil of Olay and all your $600 night creams and everything else that you're doing. You know, you're lucky to get lotion, period. Mm-hmm. Shared shower facilities. I wonder if they had a, a, a motto at don't mess with the hairdresser. You know, they get paid to cut people, so. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep with one eye open. You never know when she's you got scissors. Know, or, you know, make her mad enough. She could end up putting your hair at a crime scene. I, I mean. <laughs> 
Those are always good, right? Okay, great. Now I'm not just, I'm not going to go get my hair cut because I do not want anybody leaving my hair at a crime scene. (laughs) I have to say that this was kind of a funny case for me only because of my interactions with her. I mean, she never really spoke to me when she was cutting my hair. She pretty much just did the job and um, was ready for the next person to sit in her seat. So, Well, I hope she continued to give good quality work and didn't slouch because she was working for free. Yeah, she uh, took care of me for sure. Yeah, because I think when people had their hair colored and stuff, they had to bring the stuff in. Yes. And then she did it. Yes. So I'm trying to picture that coming through the front. People are checking in and trying to go through the detector and they're going through everything. And It had to be in a Ziploc bag and it had to be like the original contents or the package could not be open. Or something, yeah. So here we come with our L'Oreal because I'm worth it. <laughs> The officers, the, fanciest up, you're gonna get. the officers at Compost going, oh, it must be hair color day. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, I, I, I couldn't be a corrections officer and be like out in the sun. You just got your hair colored and then you're like sweating and all that hair dye is just going down your face. <laughs> right? <laughs> Feel looking like Rudy Giuliani status. Oh, oh God. Well, thanks. I think that's probably why it was just the deputy wardens that were getting their hair colored. Yeah, because they, they go back right back the in the office. <laughs> true well this was definitely interesting and i i really like talking about this case only so that i can put in my two cents of my interactions with miss Pape. <laughs> oh you got your hair done by a true french professional <laughs> yes because uh, you were worth it i was worth it <laughs> i was worth it well thanks again for uh joining us and we hope that you don't miss us too often oh yep thanks for thanks for joining us we appreciate your attendance all right i guess we will wrap this one up and we look forward to getting with you on the next episode time for crime is a podcast about true crime prison life and the opinions from the people who have worked on the inside like it love it and share it but please credit vanessa nunez and kathy delaney your hosts and their dedication to the community You can get more information about the podcast at www.timeforcrime.net. We want to send a special thanks to Nickel Nenth for the music in this podcast. We'd also like to thank Dave Kaiser and Peter Nenth for their support of the podcast and the website. And most importantly, we'd like to thank you, the listeners. Without you, we couldn't bring you this podcast. Take care, everyone.